prefaces of elsie venner this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by betty b elsie venner by oliver wendell holmes preface this tale was published in successive parts in the atlantic monthly under the name of the professor's story the first number having appeared in the third week of december eighteen fifty nine the critic who is curious in coincidences must refer to the magazine for the date of publication of the chapter he is examining in calling this a narrative a romance the author wishes to make sure of being indulged in the common privileges of the poetic license through all the disguise of fiction a grave scientific doctrine may be detected lying beneath some of the delineations of character he has used this doctrine as a part of the machinery of his story without pledging his absolute belief in it to the extent to which it is asserted or implied it was adopted as a convenient medium of truth rather than as an accepted scientific conclusion the reader must judge for himself what is the value of various stories cited from old authors he must decide how much of what has been told he can accept either as having actually happened or as possible and more or less probable the author must be permitted however to say here in his personal character and is responsible to the students of the human mind and body that since this story has been in progress he has received the most startling confirmation of the possibility of the existence of a character like that which he had drawn as a purely imaginary conception in elsie venner boston january eighteen sixty one a second preface this is the story which a dear old lady my very good friend spoke of as a medicated novel and quite properly refused to read i was always pleased with her discriminating criticism it is a medicated novel and if she wished to read for mere amusement and helpful recreation there was no need of troubling herself with a story written with a different end in view this story has called forth so many curious inquiries that it seems worth while to answer the more important questions which have occurred to its readers in the first place it is not based on any well ascertained physiological fact there are old fables about patients who have barked like dogs or crowed like cocks after being bitten or wounded by those animals there is nothing impossible in the idea that romulus and remus may have imbibed wolfish traits of character from the wet nurse the legend assigned them but the legend is not sound history and the supposition is nothing more than a speculative fancy still there is a limbo of curious evidence bearing on the subject of prenatal influences sufficient to form the starting point of an imaginative composition the real aim of the story was to test the doctrine of original sin and human responsibility for the disordered volition coming under that technical denomination was elsie venner poisoned by the venom of a crotalus before she was born morally responsible for the volitional aberrations which translated into acts become what is known as sin and it may be what is punished as crime if on presentation of the evidence she becomes by the verdict of the human conscience a proper object of divine pity and not of divine wrath 
as a subject of moral poisoning wherein lies the difference between her position at the bar of judgment human or divine and that of the unfortunate victim who received a moral poison from a remote ancestor before he drew his first breath it might be supposed that the character of elsie venner was suggested by some of the fabulous personages of classical or medieval story i remember that a french critic spoke of her as cette pauvre melusine i ought to have been ashamed perhaps but i had not the slightest idea who melusine was until i hunted up the story and found that she was a fairy who for some offence was changed every saturday to a serpent from her waist downward i was of course familiar with keats's lamia another imaginary being the subject of magical transformation into a serpent my story was well advanced before hawthorne's wonderful marble fawn which might be thought to have furnished me with the hint of a mixed nature human with an alien element was published or known to me so that my poor heroine found her origin not in fable or romance but in a physiological conception fertilized by a theological dogma i had the dissatisfaction of enjoying from a quiet corner a well-meant effort to dramatize elsie venner unfortunately a physiological romance as i knew beforehand is hardly adapted for the melodramatic efforts of stage representation i can therefore say with perfect truth that i was not disappointed it is to the mind and not to the senses that such a story must appeal and all attempts to render the character and events objective on the stage or to make them real by artistic illustrations are almost of necessity failures the story has won the attention and enjoyed the favor of a limited class of readers and if it still continues to interest others of the same tastes and habits of thought i can ask nothing more of it january twenty third eighteen eighty three preface to the new edition i have nothing of importance to add to the two preceding prefaces the continued call for this story which was not written for popularity but with a very serious purpose has somewhat surprised and i need not add gratified me i can only restate the motive idea of the tale in a little different language believing as i do that our prevailing theologies are founded upon an utterly false view of the relation of man to his creator i attempted to illustrate the doctrine of inherited moral responsibility for other people's misbehavior i tried to make out a case for my poor elsie whom the most hardened theologian would find it hard to blame for her inherited ophidian tastes and tendencies how then is he to blame mankind for inheriting sinfulness from their first parents may not the serpent have bitten eve before the birth of cain her firstborn that would have made an excuse for cain's children as elsie's antenatal misfortune made an excuse for her but what difference does it make in the child's responsibility whether his inherited tendencies come from a snake-bite or some other source which he knew nothing about and could not have prevented from acting all this is plain enough and the only use of the story is to bring the dogma of inherited guilt and its consequences into a clearer point of view but after all the tale must have proved readable as a story to account for the large number of editions which it has reached some readers have been curious about the locality the writer was thought to have in view 
no particular place was intended some of the characters may have been thought to have been drawn from life but the personages mentioned are mostly composites like mr galton's compound photographic likenesses and are not calculated to provoke scandal or suits for libel o w h beverly farms massachusetts august third eighteen ninety one end of the prefaces